You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Take your Bible tonight, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 tonight. And uh, looking forward to what God has for us this evening. As of uh, 5.30 when I walked in, we still have no sponsorship with Amazon. But uh, if you will pray for us about that. And uh, we're in negotiation right now. So, yeah, right. Galatians chapter 2 tonight. And uh, excited about what God's going to teach us from His Word. Uh, As uh, you're finding your spot there, pray for this week of ministry. A lot of different things that God's doing through our church. and grateful for it. And I uh, appreciate your partnership in that, pray especially for the fair, and then our Sunday, next Sunday, as we reach out to our community. Galatians chapter 2, let's pick up in verse 1. We're going to work down through verse 10, Lord willing, tonight. We finished chapter 1 a few weeks ago, and uh, looking at this series, Plus Nothing, a study on gospel grace as described in the book of Galatians. So adding nothing, taking nothing away from the grace of God. And let's look, if you will, at verse 1. Then 14 years after. So if you remember back in chapter 1, Paul talks about, I was saved, I didn't confer (laughs) with flesh and blood, I went to the back side of Arabia, the desert, didn't confer with flesh and blood. And so now we're picking up the story 14 years afterward. And we don't know for sure if that means 14 years after his conversion. Uh, It could also be a reference to his first missionary journey, that this is after uh, that first journey. But gives us at least, this is 14 years removed from his conversion. After I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto uh, unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. And we'll unpack that verse in just a moment. But neither Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that, we might bring, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom, Paul says in verse 5, we gave place by subjection, no not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person, for they, seem, they who seem to be somewhat uh, in conference added nothing to me. But contrary rise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, we just studied in his gospel this morning, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, there's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Lastly, verse 10, only they they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So I want to start a two-part section that's found in in, uh, Galatians chapter 2 of Paul defending the grace of God. So earlier he describes it, he personalizes it. We studied that in the first couple of sections of Galatians chapter 1. And he's going to do that in two ways. He's going to defend it first in a general sense, is what we're going to study about tonight. And then we have the infamous passage where Paul confronts the great apostle Peter. 
and he does it in a very specific way. So we're going to start tonight by looking at Paul defending the gospel in a general way uh, to those in Jerusalem. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for this day, what you've done in hearts and minds and lives. Thank you for those representing the church tonight, those that did so this afternoon, and now shifting to the last shift of the evening. I pray that you would give them fruit for their labor, give them uh, compassion and boldness. Thank you for those willing to do it. And uh, help us, Lord, tonight as we enter now this time of study of your word, that we would realize that your grace is only going to be all that it should be in our ministry and in our lives if we're willing to stand against that which attacks it and dilutes it and seeks to distract us from the pure, unadulterated um, concepts and truths um, that are your grace. Um, Help us, Lord, tonight to lean in as we see Paul doing, willing to defend where you call us to do so. Bless this study, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The other day I heard someone talking about things that moms find that make them panic. You know, if you have young kids, um, quiet. If your kids are quiet for too long, that's usually not a good sign, right? Um, Something major is wrong or they don't want you to know what they're doing. Um, And someone the other day posted this, a lone Sharpie marker lid is about the worst thing a mom can find. Um, I think I've shared this story before. Heidi has a cousin. Her two boys are a little younger than ours. I remember in one of their bathrooms on the wall, you almost could see on the wall the record of this event. And basically, Noah's their oldest boy. He probably was like upper, you know, five, six maybe at the time, not quite, maybe kindergarten age. And you see his name being written. And then there's just this streak, like right when Jen, Heidi's cousin, tried to grab it. And there's just this long permanent marker Uh, right by the shower door. Um, Do you know that as it relates to the grace of God, that sometimes it doesn't make us nicer, more palatable. It actually calls us to arms. Um, It calls us to defend um, the truth of God's word. And I was reading an article, I think I shared this maybe around Easter, but the, the statement just resonated in my heart again as it relates to our study tonight. An author said this, we must never domesticate the church into catering to religious nostalgia, consumeristic preferences, or debating minor issues. So we shouldn't be doing that. God's plan is for the church to be a bunch of, I love this phrase, a bunch of troublemakers for grace by proclaiming the gospel that brings spiritually dead people to life. We are called to be troublemakers with the grace of God. And I think we've lost our edge on that in some ways. The grace of God is all about just everybody getting along and us all just loving each other. Sometimes the grace calls us to stand. Um, And that's something I regularly grapple with as as just a believer, as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor, is when is it time to stand uh, in the grace of God? And I had a guy who taught me this years ago. He was using the analogy of a soldier, and he said a soldier is only being faithful as a soldier if he is if he is standing where the enemy is attacking. Oh, I'm being faithful at my post. Yeah, your post is in the middle of nowhere. No one's attacking that position. Sometimes I think we think we're being more faithful than we are. We're not defending where the grace of God is being attacked. And I'd like you just to think about that tonight as we talk. Where is the grace of God under assault in your life and in your sphere of influence? And where do you need to stand? Where do you need to be willing to defend graciously and yet firmly as we see Paul doing? All right, so a summary of chapter 2 of Galatians. Paul in chapter 1 is defending his ministry, I'm sorry, in verses 1 to 10, defending his ministry before the church leaders collectively. 
And then you notice him specifically uh, dealing with Peter in verses 11 to 21 uh, that we'll talk about, Lord willing, next time in our study. Um, in chapter 1, he's defending the, um, the authority of his apostleship. Here now in chapter 2, he's talking about the content of his message and of his ministry. So the question tonight is this, in a day of live and let live kind of grace, how do we personally become more faithful in consistently defending it? Let's talk about two general defenses tonight, or outlines there in the bulletin, if that helps you, as it relates to the defense of the gospel. Can you pull up that slide there, George, for me? There we go. Grace defended generally. All right, so let's talk about two of them. Number one, let's talk about, first of all, there we go, defend with a direct approach. Notice that Paul deals with this in a very direct manner. Defend with a direct approach. Go to verse one again. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And so Paul was not going to just buy a note or a letter, have this dialogue, you know, with the leaders in Jerusalem. He goes to the place and he talks to the people face to face that there needs to be some conversation. Uh, pray for the Weeses, they're a bit under the weather this, this last week and early this week. I was over at their house recently and they have a bunch of goats and... Um, and uh, I think it started out as maybe a 4-H project or whatever, but as the months have gone by, the goats are driving them crazy. And I'm trying to talk to them, and they're just, ah, you know, ah, you know, all the whatever. That's my best attempt at in, uh, impersonating them. And Katie, I could tell, was driving her crazy. I'm like, what, what, what's the matter? You know, I was just playing dumb, and she was sick of the goats. Um, some of the, they sent this to me. They said, I don't want to be an adult anymore. I don't even want to be human. I want to be a goat, all right? And here was the why. I want to jump around randomly, eat whatever I want, and headbutt anybody who annoys me, okay? <laughs> I just want the direct approach. You ever feel that way? Um, that's not what we're talking about, okay? But there are times where we do need to deal with people in a direct manner uh, to defend the grace of God. Just a thought before we unpack the text tonight. Where do you see in your life God's grace being abused? And where do you see God's grace being misrepresented? And can I challenge you that maybe the responsibility is not just that other person, but it's how you're interacting with them? I find in our day we beat around the try this. I find at times that the grace of God is not being what it should be, and we're blaming the other people instead of dealing with where we need to confront them or defend the grace in a specific manner. All right, so let's talk about a couple things as it relates to that. Number one, there in your notes, jot this down. Be direct with a zero tolerance for additions to grace. Be direct with a zero tolerance for additions to grace. And so Paul's going to model this for us very effectively. Number one, jot this down, zero avoidance. Paul does not avoid what needs to be dealt with directly. Um, verse 2, notice it says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among 
the Gentiles. And so Paul goes directly to those involved, and he deals with the situation. As I mentioned, we don't know this for sure, but at least this is 14 years after his own conversion. And he goes to Jerusalem, and he begins to address the questions of his ministry and to clear up where there's a misunderstanding about the gospel. Um, it's interesting in verse 2 where it says, and I went up by revelation or because of revelation. We don't know how, but somehow God led him to do this. So God's, God's word, God's revelation prompted the apostle to go to Jerusalem and to defend the grace of God. Um, I tried to model that this morning when I kind of picked on you a bit, tried to challenge you a bit as it relates to your own evangelistic efforts, both personally and as well as partnering with our church in areas, and I'm grateful for those that, that God prompted and worked in their hearts. Sometimes the grace of God is not being used and stewarded properly, and we need to deal with it directly. Um, that could be in your marriage. Um, that could be with your children or maybe your parent or your pastor or your puster, whatever the case may be. But there are times where we need to deal with it in a direct manner. So Paul here models that uh, in a very um, gracious but in a very direct way. The same revelation that gives us God's grace also calls us often to confront digressions from it. So like we would say, oh yeah, the Bible's all about God's grace. Yeah, that same book also says to defend it and to confront where uh, things are being twisted as it relates to uh, the grace of God. Zero avoidance. All right, go down to verse 4. We'll come back to the phrases we're skipping over in just a moment. Go to verse 4. Here's why he went. Because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Verse 5, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Number 2, jot this down, zero compromise. Paul was not willing to compromise on the grace of God. He was unwilling to give in or to give an inch or to give an hour uh, to that which was counter the grace of God. Um, in fact, hold your place there in Galatians. Go back to Acts 15. We have just a little excerpt in Acts that unpacks this a bit more, this exact same situation, all right? Go back to Acts chapter 15, and if you would please, verse number 1. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. So this would be in the flow of the narrative in the book of Acts. This is when this would have all went down that prompted Paul to go to Jerusalem. Verse 1 of Acts 15, excuse me, verse 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So these are folks coming from Jerusalem from Judea, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them, that would be Titus as included, we know that because of the text in Galatians, should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. So that's what prompted Paul to leave where he was in Antioch and to go to Jerusalem. Those in Jerusalem came and were trying to undercut the grace, the clear teaching as it relates to the grace of God. And Paul said, uh-uh, and he went directly to the source from where these, this crowd had come from. One of the things I would encourage you to think about is not only is God's grace being twisted or tainted by others around you or maybe even your own influence, what's the source of it? What's influencing that person who then is, dis, is twisting or distorting the grace of God? And so Paul wisely does not compromise for a moment, and he goes directly to the source of this false teaching.
And you notice two things back in Galatians 5, or chapter 2 and verse 4, two things they wanted to do. First, to spy out the liberty or the freedom that Paul and those he was influencing were experiencing with the grace of God. And number two, uh, to bring them back into bondage to the law, specifically circumcision and its rites and rituals. Uh, And so Paul does not compromise in the least with these who had come from Jerusalem. All right, verse 5. As we just read, to whom we gave place by subjection. We didn't submit, not even for an hour. Notice this. Here's the motivation, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And so Paul here adheres to the grace of God and the doctrine related to it to preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. The moment we compromise on the grace of God, what it takes for a person to be saved, listen to me, we lose the gospel. It's no longer good news. It's no longer faithful news. It's no longer true. And so our very uh, witness hinges upon our willingness to defend the gospel. I'm asked this all the time. Why do people not respond to the gospel like they used to? And you've heard me say this, and I'll say it again. The gospel has not changed. The world is just as unregenerate and, and foolish as they've ever been. You know what has changed? The caliber of those that are called to do the witnessing. And it's not just what we're saying it's what we're confronting, and more importantly, what we're not willing to confront. Could it be our witness is not, doesn't have the power of God behind it because it's all just warm and fuzzy? Oh, yeah, and I, I don't know about you. When I talk to people of other religions, it's very hard to not be overly accommodating where they're not right, they're not aligned with God's truth, or especially if they're a religious person. Uh, we need to be willing to defend the gospel and not to compromise in any way. Grace plus anything ceases to be God's grace. Uh, and so may we be willing to not tolerate any additions or subtractions from it. Grace plus anything ceases to be God's grace. So the question by way of application tonight would be this. Where are you tolerating compromises in relation to God's grace? Um, and I would just say to you, where are you abusing that grace yourself? Man, I... I see Christians who think they're operating under grace, and they're not. They're using it as license to excuse their behavior or not to lean into their responsibilities. Uh, so make sure first in your own life. And number two, where are, you, where are you tolerating it in the lives of others where you need to take a stand to be faithful to the Lord? Where do you need to directly confront or challenge in a way that protects your testimony of the gospel to everyone that you influence? I heard a statement the other day, this analogy, and this has been convicting to me. I've been processing it, how it, how it applies to me. Somebody said this, this analogy, remember that the rock flung into the lake makes ripples it never sees. A rock thrown into the lake creates ripples upon that lake that it will never see. Now, that's both encouraging, right? My brother's leaving the UK, and the gospel's going to go on there, and that's awesome to hear about that tonight. But the same is true in a negative sense. What scares me is how we are not being as faithful to the grace of God as we should be, and then we move on or we move into eternity, and there's still the ripple effects of where we didn't defend and adhere to a faithful representation of the grace of God. And so may we allow God to help us in that area. And by the way, we're going to talk about Titus in just a minute. Titus, his relationship with God was at stake here. Um, and those that would come after him. And Paul was willing to go to bat uh, for the grace of God, for the benefit of those who would come after. All right, go back to our text now at the end of verse 2. He says this, 
which <laughs> I preach among the Gentiles, all right? That's the gospel. But privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. All right, number two, jot this down. This is key to balance with the point we just studied. Be direct with a discreet approach to partners in grace. So be direct uh, with a zero tolerance to those who add to grace. Number two, be direct with a discreet approach to partners in grace. Um, I joke my wife sometimes that if she were not a believer, she'd be leading some women's march against men somewhere on the planet every weekend. Um, she's not a doormat in any way. And uh, I came across this story. Uh, I'll show you the picture if I can get this slide to go here again. Are we going to go? No? Can you advance that there, George or Timothy or whoever is back there? Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, this is a picture of a lady. Her name is uh, Bobby Gibb, B-O-B-B-I. And she uh, is the first woman to ever run in the Boston Marathon. Um, and uh, this would have been several years ago. I believe it was back in the 60s. I didn't write down. Oh, yeah, 1966. She ran the Boston Marathon, and the thinking of that day was that, and you women, sorry, don't, I don't believe this, okay, before I say this. Women were both psychologically and physiologically unable to do a marathon. And so the men, obviously running the marathon at the time, didn't want to be liable for a woman running in the Boston Marathon. So this woman, she was determined to run. And so what she did, the story goes, she put on men's clothing, her brother's hoodie, um, sweatpants, or what, I don't know if sweatpants were a thing back in the 60s or not. Some of you could tell me about that. But anyway, uh, put on some garb that, that disguised her, hid in the bushes, and then just a few seconds after the marathon started, she squeezed into the middle of the pack. About halfway through, the guys around here, really, there's a woman running in this race and all of that, and instead of them being like, pushing her out or, you know, outing her in some way, they encouraged her. And she was the first woman to ever run the Boston Marathon. Really cool story. Um, but she did it in a strategic way. I think sometimes the reason we're not real good at defending the grace of God is because we hit it without the guidance and the discretion of the Holy Spirit. Like, we just, like, it's either I don't say anything or I just blow people out of the water. And what I love about Paul, Paul was a very direct person. He's very careful how he navigates this. Don't miss these little reference points that will help us as we do the same. All right, so let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this, this discretion that we see modeled on the part of Paul. First, discreet collaboration, and we see that collaboration there in verse 2. He goes and he consults with those who are of reputation, those who are in leadership, those who are the influencers uh, in the church in Jerusalem. Now, why did he do that? Why did Paul go to the leaders first? Was it to try to get their approval? Was he just networking? Or was there something else in play there? I think largely it was because Paul wanted to address them and have them understand the grace of God before he went to the general assembly. Have you ever noticed when you're in a large group that emotions start getting involved? People start picking sides? And Paul knew that he needed to start with these core men, these key leaders, that maybe there was some misunderstanding and address the issues in a way that would produce collaboration. In fact, at the end of verse 2, he says, if I had not done that, I should run or would have run in vain. All of his effort would have been lost. He'd have gone to Jerusalem, and it would have failed. In fact, probably created a split between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers, and instead, Paul is discreet in his approach. The same grace that frees us from bondage helps us to partner with the brethren. 
So the same grace that frees us also connects us with other people. And I think sometimes we're trying to interact with God's grace independently of those that he has put in our life. All right, number two, look at verse three. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Number two, discreet persuasion. So he collaborates with them. Number two, he persuades them. And he uses this man Titus as an example of what grace should be and not be. Um, And so now we see why Paul brings Titus along. And really, Titus is going to be the litmus test of of what they're going to believe about the gospel. Does a man have to be circumcised or not to be aligned with Christ and to be a recipient of uh, his grace? Um, As it relates to our defense of grace, just maybe a final thought on this and we'll move on. We tend to be a bit, we tend to bite off more than we can chew when we're defending something. And this could be other areas too, not just the grace of God. Instead of just being strategic, dealing with it one chunk, one bite at a time, not over trying to win the whole war, just maybe uh, accomplish something that involves a small battle. And as we battle and as we defend over time, that begins to gain traction. How many of us were won over by the grace of God the first time we heard the gospel? I wasn't. In fact, I got saved. I was just talking this morning with one of our men, and it took me years to even figure out what it meant to be saved as a young man. And and so the grace of God, understanding it, accepting it, submitting to it, uh, is a result of persistent, strategic, collaborative, persuasive kind of approaches on the part of God's people. Defend God's grace with greater strategy. Um. I see this in our day. Either we don't, we avoid battles, or we just plow into them without praying, without letting the Spirit guide us, without looking at previous accounts in Scripture of how others approached it. Paul here exhibits a great strategic approach with the grace of God. A last verse, you could jot it down and look at this later in your own time. Colossians 4 6, let your speech be always with grace. Colossians 4 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Your, your speech seasoned with grace. Let it, let, it, let it be strategic. Let it be appropriate in its approach. All right, number two, go to verse six. And let's look at a second area of defense that Paul approaches this grace with that we must do the same. But of these who seem to be somewhat, and by that he just means of importance or of influence, those who seem to be influential or important, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat or to be of influence, again, in conference, added nothing to me. All right, number two. Let's talk for a minute about defending with, number two, moral authority. All right? Defend with moral authority. There we go. Defend with moral authority. Um, How many of the guys in the room... In these households represented watched a little football this weekend. Any of the guys? Uh-huh. I see a few ladies rolling their eyes right now. Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, one of the things I find interesting about football is the guys in shape are on the field, and the guys out of shape are telling them how to play on the field, okay? Um, and especially, it seems like the defensive line coach is not usually the guy most fit as a fiddle as he's coaching from the sideline. Um, have you ever been coached by somebody who's not doing the thing they're telling you to do? Um, that lacks a level of moral authority, right? Um, and so Paul here, he defends the gospel by having and possessing what is called moral authority. 
Anybody who leads effectively possesses this quality. It's called moral authority. And by that, I mean there's no inconsistency between what they're saying and who they are. How they live uh, lines up with what their lips are professing and promoting. And so we must have and possess moral authority. Paul's going to now talk about his ministry in verses 6 to 10. Didn't it cost Paul dearly to adhere to the grace of God, to preach and profess, travel around preaching this gospel? It cost him dearly, and so he defends it with a level of moral authority. All right, two things under that. Number one, be authoritative. How do we be more authoritative as believers? Be authoritative with the independence of grace. Be authoritative with the independence of grace. And you notice Paul possesses this in two ways. First, in verse 6 that we just read, his doctrine is independent. So he possesses independent doctrine. In verse 6, Paul approaches these men, and he refers to them. If you look back at verse 2, he talks about them which were of reputation. Uh, In verse 6, as we just read, those who seem to be somewhat or of influence. Uh, And then if you would down in verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars... Paul here is not being disrespectful. He's just saying, that was their reputation, but I was not receiving from them my doctrine. I wasn't looking to man to give me uh, the core of what I believe about grace and of other doctrines uh, that would follow. And so his faith and his confidence came from doctrine that came directly from God. In fact, at the end of verse 6, he says, those who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Um, the, the apostles, when he got to Jerusalem, didn't tell him something new that he was missing in his teaching or his preaching. Um, his doctrine was truth. His doctrine was of God. And so with that came a level of authority. Key thought tonight, as we age, the tendency is to look to what God's grace has done in our lives or those that we associate with more than the abiding truths of God's Word alone. Key statement tonight. We tend to look to, for our security and our our assertiveness and our authority, we tend to look to what God's grace has done in our lives in the past or those we associate with more than what is just God's truth. By that I mean this. Our view of grace is dependent upon other people. The person who I got saved under. The person who was my mentor. And Paul here says, no, my belief and my understanding about the grace of God is independent of man. It is directly received from God. I'm going to be faithful to it uh, with the Lord's help. Um, I was reading the other day someone talking about those who stick it out in ministry. My greatest prayer is that I'll finish well. I may not be flashy. I may not be of, of the certain profile or prestige of some. I just want to finish faithfully. I think you probably do as well. And somebody said this as it relates to not just pastors, but each of us in our walk with the Lord. Author said this, I'm more and more convinced that what gives a ministry its motivations, perseverance, humility, joy, tenderness, passion, and grace is the devotional life of the one doing the ministry. Being in this book, whether you know I am or not, being on my knees before God, whether you know it or not, an independent connection that fuels and sustains the grace of God in my life. And we each need that. And Paul is saying here, I went to Jerusalem to defend the grace of God, but it didn't matter what these men thought of me. It didn't matter what they said about me. His understanding and his confidence came 
from his personal relationship with God. And so our doctrine as it relates to the grace of God must be independent of man as well. It must be built upon God's word. All right, verse 10. We'll come back to the verses we skipped in just a moment. Only, so these that he relates to, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same also I was forward to do. Number two, notice there's an independent consideration. So Paul here, he's considerate of this request that they ask of him, that he would take care of the poor. And Paul does this repeatedly uh, in his ministry. Um, He remembered the poor when he affirmed it first by bringing uh, to Jerusalem the financial relief in Acts chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. Later in 1 Corinthians 16, he's collecting for the saints in Jerusalem. So he does it to these men and to those that were there. He, He was considerate of their needs and of their advice to him. Um, And so a genuine concern of Gentile Christians serving Jewish Christians, Paul was always at the lead uh, on that initiative. And so grace does not free us to possess authority that is inconsiderate of others. It actually enables us to use our authority in the way that it's intended, to serve and to help others. I don't know if you track with the queen uh, passing away this past week, but one of the saddest little moments, I I was just tracking the story a little bit, um, that day, was watching all of the SUVs of the royals trying to get to the bedside uh, at Balmoral uh, Castle there in Scotland uh, before the queen passed away, and just zipping through town and then just busting through the open gate. That's what I was in mind, just watching all these black vehicles rushing through, trying to get to her bedside before she passed away. You know, for a lot of us, the grace of God and how we view it depends on a personality, It depends on some other person or some circumstance, things going well in life or someone approving us, instead of it being independently resting upon God and His Word. You will never get grace right until it rests only on the Word of God, not what some intermediate guy or gal tells you the grace of God is or isn't. To defend it, we have to get it from the Word of God. And so as we get into it every day, that's defending the grace of God reminding ourselves and refining our thinking and beliefs about it uh, and then sharing it with others. If I were to ask you tonight, defend, stand and defend the grace of God. Articulate it clearly. Do you have Scripture? Do I have Scripture? Well, I read a story or some guy told me or I have this experience. No, the grace of God must come from the Word of God. And so to defend it, uh, we must build our doctrine of it squarely and exclusively upon the Word of God. Paul is free here to stick with God's grace because it doesn't rest on anything other than the Word of God and what God had clearly revealed to him. And we always get it wrong when we add or subtract from God's Word to intermix something else that's less than biblical in its origin. All right, lastly, look if you would, verse 7 through 9. But contrary wise, so they didn't add anything, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of circumcision, the same, the same God was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Number two, so be authoritative with the independence of grace. Number two, with the recognition of grace. Be authoritative with the recognition of grace. Um, there's a phrase out there, your best life now. It's like a buzz phrase in our day. Live your best life life now. And 
heard someone say this, the most convincing sign that someone is truly living their best life uh, is their lack of desire to show the world that they're living their best life. (laughs) They don't have to post it online. They don't have to talk about it. They just are. You know, for a lot of us, we're looking for recognition and affirmation where we just need to lean into the grace of God to allow it to enrich our lives, to experience the depths and heights and range of all that it offers to us and letting then that be recognized by those around us. If God's grace is being realized in your life, you won't have to tell me. And the same is true in my life. It speaks for itself. Paul doesn't mention the things that they see and hear. They hear it on their own. They recognize it on uh, their own. All right, two things we notice. First, we see a recognized diversity. So they recognize that what God was doing through Peter That same God was also doing it through Paul in a little different way. In verse 7, you notice they recognize that Paul, by undeserved favor, uh, there in verse 7, notice it's, it's committed unto Paul. He didn't earn it in any way. That he was able to take the gospel to the uncircumcised or the Gentiles, just like Peter had been sent to the Jews primarily. And so to different nationalities, the same grace was producing fruit. Uh, Verse 8, notice he wrought effectually in Peter, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. That word wrought effectually has the idea of energizing um, by inner power. The Spirit was furthering the gospel through Paul just like he was through Peter. Uh, And so equal apostleship, equal effectiveness is recognized. And I love that little word at the end of verse 8 where it says the same. He that wrought effectually, who is the he? God, the Spirit specifically, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Hold your place there in Galatians. Would you go to 1 Peter for a moment? We were in 2 Peter this morning. 1 Peter chapter number 4 and verse 10. This idea of diversity. 1 Peter 4, and if you would please, verse number 10. The grace of God doesn't always have the same profile. It has the same foundation that never changes what it is and what it's not. But just a caution as we try to defend the gospel and specifically the grace of God, that it's not going to always look in someone else's life and ministry like it does in yours. Do you understand what I'm saying there? And here's where I think we sometimes overpounce or overreact is we react to something different that still is faithful to the doctrine of God's grace. And I give you an example of that. Look here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. It says this, After giving some admonitions of things to do in our ministry, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. Notice this last phrase, as good stewards of thee. And here's the key word, manifold grace of God. Manifold grace of God. The word manifold that's found there has the idea of multicolored, or variegated, um, and, and another definition would be magnificently varied. The idea would be light hitting a, a prism, and then it, it diversifies into different colors of the, uh, of the palette, of uh, the prism that's there. The grace of God, when it shines into our lives, it doesn't always look in your life what it does uh, in my life. And so here these apostles, they were on a one-track mind. It's Israel, it's the Jews, it's Jerusalem. Wait a minute. The grace of God is at work in a different way. And so they recognize in Paul some diversity, some manifold versions of grace that are still faithful to the grace of God. Um, 
when you hear the word legalism, and we haven't talked about it much, we'll get more into it as we dig deeper into the book of Galatians, but when you hear the word legalism, what comes to your mind? Like what, maybe that's a positive, probably for most of us it has negative connotations. Someone is, a, I don't know if I've ever heard, you're such a legalist, and they put it in a card and meant the best by it. it it's never, you're just, you're amazingly just so legalistic. It's just, um, it's such a blessing, okay? It's not usually said that way. Um, but I have heard people who've said this. I'd like you to think about this for a moment. Um, that if someone believes that salvation is by grace through faith alone, that any other position they take cannot be legalistic. So basically, if we get salvation right, then any standards or things that I hold everyone in my life and on the, on the planet to, that's not legalistic because I'm not saying it saves you. Um, Galatians is going to really confront that, Okay. Because not only can we be legalistic as it relates to justification, we also can be legalistic as it relates to sanctification. What makes a per- you understand where I'm going with this? Makes a person in line and in sync and in step with God. And if they don't dress like or talk like or whatever, we can mention specific things that sometimes we level on others uh, that we have in our own lives a personal conviction about. And the verse I would give you, if you go back to Galatians, and again, we'll, we'll get to this at greater length later, but go back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3. All right, so we'll get to this next chapter where he's confronting legalism, and he says this in verse 3 of Galatians 3, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect? All right, so begun would be the justification, the salvation. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? And so legalism can trip us up before salvation. It also can trip us up after salvation. And often the reason it does afterward is because we don't recognize the diversity of grace. Not tolerating that which is false, that which is fleshly, just saying that God's grace may look a little different in another life than it does in ours. And may I say to you tonight directly, nothing cheapens or cheats the grace of God more than insisting upon everyone to steward it just like we do or letting others impose the same standard on us. The grace of God is far too dynamic to be limited to one human's take on it. It's going to look different at different stages of our maturity and development and nationality and all the context that we navigate in so recognized diversity. Paul here experiences that in Jerusalem. All right, go down to verse 9. And I love this verse And when James and Cephas, another name for Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, we use that term pillars of the community, they were the leaders, the ones supporting this assembly, leading this assembly, perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. All right, lastly, jot this down, recognize partnership. So recognize diversity. We may do things or reach different people, still with the grace of God. Number two, we want to work with you, recognized partnership. The other day I saw this picture. I'll show you in just a minute. Here's the caption. My dream when I retire with what I've saved on my own private island. Okay, so that was the caption. Do you see this picture? And then this is the picture. And we're here. There's the private island, Okay on some random road somewhere. Do any of you feel like that's the retirement you have to look forward to right now with what the numbers are? Maybe, if you're fortunate. Um, Can I say to you tonight, as it relates to the grace of God, too often we want God's grace, but we want it on an island. We want 
to experience his grace, but we want to do so in isolation. And here's what I love about this text tonight is Paul, though he is independent, he is not isolated. He doesn't need their approval. He doesn't need their affirmation, but he wants to be a partner with them, and they in turn respond to him. There is a recognized partnership. It is the same gospel. And may I say tonight, it is not the direct attacks of the enemy that hinder God's grace the most. It is our regular attempts to live life on our own with the grace of God where we're meant to do life together uh, in community. And so may we be willing to partner up with those that God places in our life. Maybe a little different, but still aligned around the same grace and gospel. And so these Jewish leaders recognize, I love that, that he says in verse 9, did you see that? perceived the grace that was given unto me. They saw it for what it was, and they wanted to partner with Paul as he launched out with the gospel to the Gentile world. Um, One of the things I have found to be true, and I'm still growing in this myself, obviously, is that when the grace of God is in your life, you attract people. You attract people. When the grace of God, you got it right doctrinally, and then your demeanor is right with the gospel and with the grace, it just it draws certain people to you. Can I ask you tonight, do you have that happening in your life? The grace of God is at work in you, and you're growing in it, and it's, it's drawing others toward you, maybe in the church or in community or in your family. The grace of God is attractive. The grace of God draws others toward us, and Paul here has these men step and lean toward him because he had been faithful to the grace of God. And if that's not happening, I would ask you why. Maybe it's you're you're not accepting the diversity. You're not willing to let God draw people to you. You're forcing what needs to be given more time uh, in acceptance. And so may we let God help us in this area of grace that is recognized by others. As we finish tonight... um, I came across this thought that I think should fuel our defense of the grace of God. An author said this, Never worry about who will be offended if you speak the truth. Worry about who will be misled, who will be deceived, and who will be destroyed if you don't. And I, I, you, any of you who have joined the church, at least in the last several years, or have talked to me about it with a deacon, I say this at every meeting. We're not picking on you. We have anybody who joins our church. We have several who will be meeting with us next month. Um, But I will say to them, my greatest fear is someone thought because they were a member of North Life Baptist Church, they were going to wake up in eternity in a place called heaven. Instead, they wake up in a place called hell. Like, we got to hold the line, right? There, There are people impacted by our defense of the gospel and grace of God. I alluded to this this morning. Schlegels are back here tonight, so maybe Kenzie will see this. But this was the post I referred to this morning. There's little Kenzie with her Smile More shirt and her umbrella and then see the little smile sticker. Wasn't that cool, Katie? Mackenzie, that, I mean, today that was the sticker pattern. They have like sheep and goat, but today it was a smiley face. You know, again, we have Amazon and we have Wayne County Fair partnering with us in our, our outreach this fall. But um, I was just thinking about that. As you look at that picture, Kenzie's going to grow up in a very religious county. They stay here in Wayne County for her formative years. You know, without us defending the grace of God faithfully, she's not going to grow up with a proper understanding of it. And every other Kenzie that we all know, instead of the smiley face, there's going to be a lot of brokenness and burdens and unnecessary distractions from the pure, unadulterated grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. Your defense of it matters. My defense of it matters. 
Uh, and so we'd be willing to defend it, not just outside of the church, but inside the church. When it creeps into our ranks, are we willing to hold the line and defend against those who try to move us away from the gospel and grace of God? All right, this question, and we'll pray. Will you tonight choose to live a gra- in a grace plus nothing kind of ministry and walk with the Lord by defending what God has done for you with a direct approach? And number two, with moral authority. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight.